Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. This episode, we talk about what you need to know about Skylake, and we look at the new EVGA card, the For the Win. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McKay. Recently, Dennis, I was asked, as often happens to tech folks like ourselves, to help a buddy put together a gaming build. Okay, so gaming is pretty wide in breadth, <laughs> so what are we talking about? Well, it's interesting to say that because as a gamer myself, my idea of a gaming build is a little bit more extreme, I think, than the average show also, because, uh, you know, I'm also an enthusiast. But my buddy was looking for something that was more of an entry-level game. He's not going to be you know, playing Battlefield all weekend and was looking for something he could get his kid playing Minecraft on and, and you know, just some light multimedia. So like an Xbox. Uh, you know, it's funny you say that because I did suggest a console initially, but he's an old school gamer. He used to be a old LAN party guy back in the day. Oh, so he's vested interest into the PC. Well, yeah, and this is him kind of getting his feet wet again with what's out there, having not really been a PC gamer for maybe 10 years. So as I always do, I started with the budget discussion. Yeah, you have to, you can build to a budget easily. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and you know, as an enthusiast, I will spend every penny that he tells me that he wants to spend and just try to find the best way to sort of Tetris's build to get the most bang for his buck. So anyway, he was looking at pulling an old PC out of the garage and gutting it and upgrading the internals, which is something that I preach a lot, you know, especially if you have parts that you can reuse. But, you know, he's looking at about 400 bucks. You can't build a gaming PC for $400. Not easily. So we immediately started going out and looking at, well, AMD because... Cheap. Cheap. And there's a lot of it out there in used or bundle kits. Yeah. I think uh, at one point you had pinged me for an FM2 board or something like that. Yeah, because I had a processor that I just upgraded. So my daughter's now in an A10 in our budget build in the house. And we've talked a lot about that. So I thought maybe I could help him out with the A6, and we just kind of build around that. DDR3's gotten super cheap. Uh, FM2 motherboard's also very cheap. Somewhat hard to find sometimes, though. Well, yeah, but you can get a pretty decent one for 80 bucks, maybe tops. Yeah, even less on eBay. You can get one for like 40 sometimes. If you can find one. And my thought was that since he doesn't really think he's going to be doing too much gaming, you could get him into like maybe a 750 video card or even an older generation. And that would make the budget work because he had a decent 650 power supply that looked like it was still testing positive and still had some drives. And you don't really need a lot of fan for that setup, just an OEM processor fan or something cheap and you're good to go. So long story short, we started kind of roughing out the piece and putting out the feelers for parts. And you know what happened, Dennis? Well, this was a couple of months ago, so I'm guessing it didn't work. Well, it's not that it didn't work. It's just in the midst of his humming and hawing, Skylake happened. Yeah, that was a couple of months ago. <laughs> so anyway, my buddy goes out and starts looking and, for lack of a better term, got won over by the cult of the shiny and new. <laughs> I love this cult. That's right. And I'm sympathetic because anytime a new processor comes out, there's a lot of hype, a lot of excitement. And Skylake is a great example because Intel putting out what they've really aggressively marketed as a gaming-type processor for way less than, like, the processor I'm looking at, which is the Haswell Ease. Mm -hmm. 
So the Haswell E Core i7. Well, let's do Core i7. Core i7 5690X, and that's the number denotion for the Core i7. Well, the number denotion for Skylake is Core i7 6700K. Yeah. So, so the number's bigger, Dennis. It's got to be better and yeah, half the price, right? Half the, yeah, half the price. So anyway, before we get too deep into Skylake, which we should do. My buddy immediately reassesses and starts thinking maybe he's got to have a Skylake, which means, you know, you got to put out three or 400 bucks. You got to get a new motherboard, which is yeah maybe 180 for a decent one. Get some DDR3, which uh, thankfully is still cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it's less than $200 for a good set. But you got to put all that together. Now maybe you need a 770 video card. No, you're going to want uh, probably the... Like 950, mm-hmm. 950 NVIDIA 950. If you go AMD, probably like an R9 270 would be the lowest you want to go. And then we start looking at his 10-year-old 650 power supply and going, yeah, I don't mm. think so. It's... No, you want something that's at least 80-plus bronze. You want yeah. an 80-plus on there for efficiency. Well, and you can't put that much hardware in there and trust a, you know, when we're talking a $400 build, it's not a big deal if you lose a power supply or a part, but... Suddenly, our build is jumping up, you know, kind of up to almost a grand. Yeah, it's going to be $1,200 when he's done, probably. So, my buddy went back to the drawing board, and needless to say, we didn't get anything built. (laughs) But it got me thinking, hey, I've got almost an entire Haswell E build put together that I've been puzzling and piecing together, and we've Mm -hmm. talked a lot about that. And for the folks at home, I'm down to, really, I just need a processor, and I've been kind of eyeballing the M.2 drives and I'll be done. In a case that we can talk about. We'll talk about that maybe on another podcast. But Skylake came out, and I immediately did the same thing. I'm like, whoa, well, maybe I shouldn't be building a Haswell-based. I should be getting Skylake because Skylake is new. It is new. Unfortunately, Skylake is the talk to Haswell. (laughs) Right? As we know, Intel does this TikTok thing where they do a, um, the talk is basically a new socket. It's new architecture. And then the tick is the same socket, but then they shrink the die or they shrink the process to try to make it more efficient. Well, a lot of times that means that you're getting an improvement though, and sometimes a die shrink. So I honestly thought, well, maybe if I wasn't going to get a Skylake, at least it would help drive the prices down to the Haswell processors. And it hasn't happened yet, but we're going into Christmas season. So, well, and on top of that, there's only two Skylake processors you can buy. There's the Core i5, which is the 6600K, and then the Core i7, which is the 6700K. Now, I know you went out on the market and found that a bit frustrating. Maybe we should quick aside for that. Yeah, so in the United States, the 6700K, the Core i7 edition of Skylake, was in very, very short supply. I think, <laughs> you know, comically saying there was probably like five of them that showed up and they all went to reviewers. Wow, that's like those extreme unicorn motherboards and video cards all of a sudden. Yeah, I know. It's super crazy. Although there was 6600Ks everywhere and people were like discounting them saying, hey, we got all these processors, buy these, they're cheap. Admittedly, it's $100 less for the Core i5 versus the i7, but we are missing um, hyperthreading. Oh my gosh. Hyperthreading is actually pretty important. Uh, at least for the way I do motherboard reviews, because I want to have as many threads as available as possible. Well, I can definitely see why they market it as a gaming card, because right now there isn't a lot that's taking advantage of the multi-core hyper-threading 
mm-hmm. in gaming, which is a real shame. Right. Well, Skylake brings with it a lot of architectural changes. The The most notable one is support for DDR4. And a lot of the uh, overclockers have been able to push their DDR4 all the way to like 3,800 megahertz, which is an, actually really insane. Well, and that's maybe tip of the iceberg. I mean, DDR4 is still pretty new. Right. Well, and this is overclocking modules. So you take a 3,200 megahertz module or 3,400 megahertz module, which would be really super expensive and elusive on the X99 platform. But the memory controller in Skylake is a lot stronger. So you can push these really fast memory modules considerably faster on the Skylake processor. Now, I thought Skylake would also support DDR3, though. It does support DDR3. In the memory controller itself, and, you know, on-die memory controllers started with AMD back in the A64 days, right? Oh, yeah. So the on-die memory controller is normally just tuned to one memory platform, so like DDR3, for instance. Well, with Skylake, it supports both. It has uh, DDR4 and then a special version of DDR3. According to everyone I talked to at Computex, the initial motherboard releases will all support DDR4, but then when the lower-end processors come out onto the market, because right now there's only two, as of this recording, obviously, when the lower-end processors come out, they will release the DDR3 editions and maybe have boards with two sets of memory. Oh, those crossover boards. Yeah, those are handy, especially for folks like me that are trying to, uh, I don't know, hermit crab our systems a little bit. Yeah. Well, most of it is designed for OEM and business. So you can get the upgraded processor architecture, but not have to upgrade everything. Now so does, you'd be able to use the old memory and stuff. Does Skylake have the onboard video? It does. It has the upgraded Iris Pro graphics, which are, yeah, I'm not much on onboard graphics really, but it's supposed to be really good. Well, that's at least a step up. I know that in the past, AMD has really kind of been the king of these OEM video card combined builds in the, in the processes at least. Right. Well, they have the, the super tiny machines that they can make into media PCs and it just makes it cheap because it's all one system. Well, I know a lot of that's targeted at mobile too, the tablets and the that sort of stuff, the Fusion and all that kind of excitement. Yeah, the Fusion was kind of the, the multimedia PC. I'm going to say Atom on the Intel side is it's the same basic thing. That's a bit more um, integrated into phones and stuff like that. Well, let's talk a little bit about Skylake architecture and how it compares to, uh, well, Haswell and AMD then. So we've talked already a little bit about... Skylake. Well, we talk numbers. So let's talk features. How does it handle video since we just talked about video? Let's start there. Okay, so it handles video exactly the same as Haswell. The CPU supports 16 lanes of PCI Express, just like Haswell, and you can split that down into 2x8, so you can run two-way SLI and also two-way crossfire. If you wanted to get into three-way and four-way setups, you either use a PLX chip, just like on Haswell, or on the AMD side, you can start to take bandwidth off of the chipset. Looking at the uh, spec sheet here, I see an intriguing line. Three independent displays support. This thing supports three videos? Yeah, it supports three video outs off of the onboard graphics, which is that Iris Pro, some of the power behind there. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it works great for office PCs, I think, and a little bit of light gaming. But you get, uh, on most motherboards, you will get a HDMI display port, and then um, either another display port or a DVI. 
Now, we already talked quite a bit about the DDR support for both the DDR and the DDR3, although this says DDR3L. That must be the specific DDR3 that you were talking about. Yeah, that's a different module type. So are we looking for um, XMS profiles still, or are we back to some kind of different kind of clocking? That is a really good question. I'm not really sure about the DDR3L. Being an enthusiast, I'm going to be progressive on this one. (laughs) All right, well. We'd probably go DDR4 too if you can afford it. So what else have we got? Does it have, I see, integrated audio, which you'd expect. Right. Um, how does it handle the other PCI lanes and drive support? Okay, so on the Z97, which was the Haswell chipset, you had eight lanes of PCI Express 2.0 bandwidth off of the chipset. And you could use this um, bandwidth for like an M.2 slot, or you could use it for extra slots on the motherboard. So you have those 1X slots on there. Or you could have like one uh, 4X and then a couple of others. You also use the PCI Express for network connections. So you hook your FI chip up to, oh, okay. to that and you get better bandwidth and stuff for your network connections. So it looks like they're doing a lot with direct memory uh, integration, I guess, to the chipset. And the PCI lanes are also directly controlled? Yes. So on the Skylake chipset, the Z170, you get 20 lanes of PCI Express 3.0 bandwidth. Okay. So we have basically the same speed out of the CPU with 20 lanes of PCI Express instead of 16, like on the CPU. So that allows motherboard makers to have a lot more connectivity. A couple of the boards that I've seen have two M.2 slots and then also a multitude of SATA Express slots. And normally those would share bandwidth. So you would have, if you plug in your M.2, it disables the SATA Express. Well, on these boards, there was no indication that if you plug in the M.2, you can't use the SATA Express. Well, that all sounds pretty good. So that's the Z170 chipset. Is that the only chipset right now that supports Skylake? Yes. I believe that we will have business editions, obviously, with the B Ocean, and probably, you know, another pared down one like a G or something like that. Now, I think I've got a good idea now of the Skylake architecture. But we talked a little bit about the Cult of the Shiny. Compared to my Haswell processor, how's it do? What are we losing? Well, you are losing quite a bit. So on the X99, which is the Haswell E that you are building your system on, we have quad-channel DDR4 memory. So you already have about half of the memory bandwidth. You also have only four cores, four physical cores in the Core i5 and the i7 of the Skylake. You get hyper-threading with the Core i7, obviously, but on even the low-end Haswell E, you have six cores with hyperthreading. Mm, that's a big difference. So you have a lot more cores. So it will handle uh, like video encoding, 3D stuff. You know, it's a, your basic workstation chipset. Uh, obviously, there's um, 2011 pins on Haswell E versus the 11,000 or 1,151 on Skylake. So there's a, the CPU itself is considerably smaller. As your friend had mentioned before, the price is about half. Yeah, and that's what really stands out. Right. So the numbers that Intel picks are supposed to denote the performance based off of like the Pentium 3 from way back when or something like that, right? (laughs) Right. So based on that, the Skylake should be a lot faster than Haswell E. But in terms of core and actual raw performance, CPU is going to be a lot higher on Haswell E, but the memory performance will be a lot better on Skylake in terms of... uh, using just like desktop applications, gaming, stuff like that. 
I suppose if you don't need all those powerhouse applications, again, for the raw gamer, you're really kind of looking at Skylake now. Yeah. Personally, I would say if you were going to build a good Skylake machine for gaming, you know, get the mini ITX board, drop in like a Core i5-6600K. That's a nice medium range processor. And what I've seen in my benchmarks is obviously it is slower because it has less cores compared to a, um, a 4770K on the Haswell side. But the memory performance in DDR4 brings the game performance up to that level. And almost beats it in some cases. Wow, that's impressive. Maybe I should be looking at one. Maybe not. And you have in the lab, what do you have? You have... Well, I have three boards right now. I have the um, the Gigabyte Z170 UD5. And that's the review that's already gone live since the this podcast was recorded. So check that out on our website. I also have an MSI Gaming M7, which is a board that I just finished testing on as of this recording. The review should be up shortly around the time this podcast goes live. And the MSI and the Gigabyte boards, almost identical in the layout, which is a little scary. So it's something that, you know, when the reviews go live, you'll have to check that out. And maybe in the next podcast, we can talk about it. A bit. Well, perfect. I want to talk a little bit about the motherboards, though, and the feature sets that we're seeing in these Skylake boards. I'm going to grab that motherboard real quick. So tell the folks at home, what am I holding here? You're holding the MSI Gaming M7. The M7, and it is beautiful. I, I, you know, I love what I've been seeing in the last couple generations of motherboards. They really, they look great, and they're definitely feature full, especially the, the small guys. And this one's not that bad. No, and it took a lot of design cues from the Godlike, which is a re- motherboard that I really liked. So on this board, you can see that we have the metal over the PCI Express slots. Yes. And it's only over two. The Gigbyte has all three of the video card ones covered. PCI Express layout is identical between this board and the Gigabyte board. The placement of the M.2s, which is between the last two PCI Express slots and above the first one. The layout there is identical between this board and the Gigabyte board. The differences are the MSI board has a larger... PWM around the CPU. And it has a slightly different audio setup and different um, motherboard configuration buttons. Down here, this is a, I'm, I'm pointing at the board right now, but there's a, a dial in the lower right hand corner of this motherboard that has a button on top. I see that. It looks almost like, you know, press to launch missile. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like that. It's uh, auto overclocking and it, it goes to 11. Sweet, really? Yeah, it does. Turn it to 11, man. <laughs> so uh, it's auto overclocking. It will go within the, the parameters of the CPU that you put on there. I wrapped it up to 11 and it overclocked the CPU to 4.7 gigahertz. Well, that's impressive. Now, just remind me again, this is which processor? The Core i5-6600K. Not bad. So this is the cheap Skylake. Well, at least at the moment. The cheapish one, yeah. So so what does a cheapish Skylake run? About 250. Oh, that's not bad at all. I can see why folks are flocking to them. So this MSI motherboard um, has a lot of beautiful stuff on it, but I'm noticing things that are jumping out at me, and the biggest one is, at least from the angle I'm at, DDR4 boost. Oh, yeah, that's just like a memory boost feature. So that's an overclocking feature? No, it's like XMP. I didn't really see much change in the memory here. Mm -hmm. The the thing that I want to draw your attention to is on the IO 
panel on the back. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. So you have your video connections here, and I'm pointing toward the middle. Sure. And you got three of them. It looks like DisplayPort and two HDMIs. Is that right? I think so. Uh, yes. So that's... I uh, had to look at it. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, but look at that. Is that the new USB guy right there? Yeah, you got a Type-C connector above a normal connector, both on USB 3.1. Sweet. That's nice. I can't wait for those devices to come out so we can really see that 3.1 in action. Yeah, I got lucky with the Godlike. They included a USB 3.1 Type-C thumb drive that had all the motherboard drivers on it. Now, this is a gaming motherboard, clearly, from the name. Mm Mm-hmm. But we've seen already the overclocking features that we've talked about with the buttons and the onboard power and reset buttons along with the multi-BIOS. Right. And I'm seeing the trend has continued in the back for the uh, keyboard connector. It's a yeah, PS2 yeah. connector, right? But yeah, <laughs> there's a, a PS2, PS2 keyboard connector on the back, which is something that EVGA has gone away with for you know quite a while now. Um, and then above it is a couple of USB 2.0s for keyboard and mouse and stuff like that. USB 3 is on there somewhere. So you also have a CMOS reset there. This particular board, and it comes with an IO shield, kind of like what EVGA has been doing on a lot of the boards. I had to remove it to get the board installed. But when you get it out of the box, it's um, it's got a screw and a bolt or a screw How and a nut on it. The other thing that really jumps out at me, Dennis, on this one is that the boards have space again. And for a while, it seemed like every inch was full of something. And I realize that that's the case, too, because it's still on the board. You've got a lot going on. But there aren't as many slots, and everything seems very open. With progressions in chipset design, Intel has been able to integrate more into the chipset, so you don't need as many PHI chips for network and stuff like that. It's all just kind of built in. So you won't see as many traces. There'll be a lot of empty space on the board, which is also why many ITXs become so prevalent with these LGA 11 5 exports. That all sounds good, but I think what we want to talk about here is how does it perform? Let's talk a little bit about the test bench. Now, I know you mentioned that you're working on a classified, Mm -hmm. so maybe uh, what kind of setup and how did this MSI motherboard we've been talking about perform? Okay. Well, my setup, and that's actually an interesting discussion, my setup is all based off of Windows 7. So I have a set of benchmarks that run reliably well on Windows 7. Unfortunately, Skylight doesn't like Windows 7 or something. So when I okay. tested yeah, when I tested on the Gigabyte board, the UD5, it worked flawless. I was able to install Windows 7, get the drivers installed, run through my entire testing suite, and I was done in a couple of days. No big deal. I tried the same thing with the MSI board thinking, okay, yeah, this is going to work great. I get to the part in the Windows 7 setup where you have to select your language and how to install. The mouse and the keyboard both died. And these are plugged in via the USB. Oh, no. I'm like, this isn't good. (laughs) So I go into the BIOS and check, and it turns out that there is a couple of switches, one for enabling USB in Windows 8 and Windows 8.1. Interesting. And then also in Windows 7. So I'm like, interesting. And I guess there is some driver that works in the UFI to allow Windows 7 to install and use the, the USB or something. I'm not sure exactly how this works, but... You enable that, I was able to install Windows 7, install the drivers, run through the testing suite, worked great. I do the same thing on the classified, the EVGA. In the stock BIOS, I get to the Windows 7 setup and the USB dies. 
which is a little unfortunate. So I go into the BIOS, look for the switch. There's no switch. I go and grab the latest BIOS, install it. It has the switch. I enable that. And then all of a sudden USB polling is terrible. It was like move the mouse halfway across my desk and it moves an inch on the screen sort of thing, which is really, really bad. Not sounding so good for gaming. No. So I finally get Windows 7 installed, kind of limp it through. And I figure, well, when I get to the desktop, it will be better. It didn't get any better. And if I disable that switch in the BIOS, then the USB dies completely. So obviously there's a problem with the BIOS with Windows 7. According to EVGA, it works great with Windows 8 and Windows 10, but my setup isn't configured for that OS yet. So I'm waiting for them to come back with a BIOS. But that kind of, you know, Windows 7 issues aside, the performance is actually really good. Well, you haven't really talked about what you did with overclocking and and the setup there did you just do uh you know oem cooler are we talking about putting this thing on the face <laughs> no i didn't do any sub-zero yet but i am using a all-in-one thick radiator asatec cooler so it's 120 millimeters the the thicker one so it's about an inch thick handles a lot of heat so the it cools really well unfortunately with skylake it's plagued with the same problem that Ivy Bridge and Haswell had, where the CPU, uh, the chip itself is not soldered to the heat spreader. So they use a bit of thermal paste in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it kind of acts as a bit of an insulator. You can run this thing at like 4.7 gigahertz, lots of voltage, and you won't feel any heat coming off the radiator, but the CPU is just cooking. Overclocking is a bit limited by the heat in the package. A lot of the mainstream overclockers that are using LN2 are pulling the heat spreader off, just like what they did with Haswell, and getting some really, really good numbers out of that. Unfortunately, you can't do that in the um, air and water cooling space. You know what? Let's let's go back. What technique? How does it overclock? Are we talking about just front side bus? Are we talking about voltage? I mean, what's your what's your attack strategy on a Skylake processor? Skylake is a lot like Haswell. It's all base clock overclocking. There isn't a ring, so to speak, in terms of voltage to power the entire processor. So it's a little bit more traditional where you can feed voltage directly to the CPU and feed voltage directly to the system agent, which is the memory controller. There's just a few voltages you need to deal with, and those are all completely separate streams coming into the CPU. So it's a bit more uh, refined, and some people say it's better. I haven't seen much of a difference, but the process is exactly the same. Uh, you get the K-SKUs, you can change the multiplier. The base clock is um, it's finicky for base clock. With Haswell, I could push like maybe 110 base clock before it started to die. With Sandy Bridge and Ivy Bridge, I could go almost to like 120. The devices on the motherboard would die before the CPU kind of pooped out. But with Skylake, I could get to 103. 103. 103. So it's virtually don't bother. It's something, and sometimes every little bit counts. So any future plans for putting this thing under some extreme cooling? With my Haswell, I delitted it and then put in some good thermal paste to get some better numbers. I plan to do that with the 6600 when I finally get a 6700, which is the Core i7. Based on my benchmarks that we talked about earlier, the, the performance is less over the, the i5, over the i7, which is predictable. But the memory performance is a lot better. So I'm thinking I might stick with the i5 on the test bench. And then if I get an i7, it will be mostly for just kind of playing around on LN2 and stuff like that. 
So maybe in the future we'll be looking at some serious overclocking and hey, maybe some cups, who knows? Well, check back with us. Catch that classified review coming soon in the Hardware Asylum forums. Thanks, Dennis. Darren, I might, uh, I might have to monologue just a little bit. Oh, no. Why so? Well, last month or a month and a half ago, as of this recording, EVGA sent out an email saying that they have the fastest card next to the Kingpin. Oh, so they've released a new card. Yeah, so here, here's the, the thing from the email, which is also on their website. GeForce GTX 980 Ti for the win, ACX 2.0 Plus which is their ACX cooler. It's very, very good. The subtext, fastest EVGA DTX 980 tie next to Kingpin. Well, hold on a second. Didn't we just do a 980 classified review? Yeah, we did a 980 tie classified. I'm going to take you over to their store right now. So we're going to do a little bit of side-by-side comparison. Oh, comparison shopping. I like that. All right. So we have the 980 tie classified listed here. We have 1190 base clock. 1291 boost clock. And then all the other stuff is fill rate, which, you know, we got six gigs of memory, stuff like that. Right. So the standard stuff. Standard stuff. We go over to the For the Win card. These look surprisingly similar. We have. Yeah, they do. 1190 base clock. We have 1291 boost clock. We have six gigs of memory. If I do. Hold on now. That's the same. Yeah. It's identical. If we go down to the EVGA GeForce 980 Ti Superclocked, Superclock Plus, right? Sure. Super, super clock. We have 1102, and then we have, what is it? That's 1190 boost clock, and then uh, six gigs of memory. That's a lot slower, and that's the super, super clocked edition, right? Okay, so now talk money with me, because I'm not seeing a lot of difference between those three cards. Okay, so the, the classified that you can buy is uh, 699 and some change. The for the win, the new one, six eighty nine and some change. Sure, cheaper. The super clocked, super super clocked, is uh, six seventy nine and some change. Okay, so definitely you would want to jump up from the super clocked plus. Obviously, somebody's gonna spend that much money. What's ten bucks or twenty bucks? Really? Yeah, it comes down to architecture of these three cards, right? So we have the the nine eighty tie super clocked. That's basically a reference design card from NVIDIA with the EVGA ACX 2.0 cooler on it. But it sure looks the same, at least in the pictures, that for the win. Well, yeah, that's the, the cooler. So it's the same card size, same cooler. Uh, it's just their upgraded cooler that they added. We go over to the classified. This is the card that I reviewed. It comes with the 14-phase PWM, which is the same um, VRM that's available on the kingpin card with a slight a few modifications it's a much taller card so it has a much larger acx cooler on it and that's how you can get uh, all the super overclocking out of it and run it on ln2 and stuff like that but a lot of the high-end overclockers that are doing evga cards are not buying the classified they're buying the kingpin card and then they're paying extra to get the asics that they want so you can get like a, a 90 percent asics which is um you know, like almost $1,000. It's price performance, right? Well, the classified that I got only had like a 70%, which was really, really bad. 
wasn't any better than the reference design card that I got. And this is something we talked about in the previous podcast. So it got me thinking, why is the For the Win different? Yeah, because it's only a $10 price change. and Exact same speeds. Yeah, I mean, from at least the front page, they look the same. Right, so we're going to go over to the details here. We're going to scroll down a little bit. The biggest change here is the For the Win card, the new one, has a custom PCB with 8.2 power faces. That sounds like a good thing. Yeah, so we have a standard reference design-ish PCB, same size as the reference card. They reworked the PWM, took the classified VRM, chopped it down so that you only get 8.2 power phases instead of the 14.2, I think. And then they slapped on the ACX 2.0 cooling solution, which is something that they put on the, they replaced the stock one on their reference cars. So we're losing wattage for sure. We're losing wattage, yes. Uh, the power requirements on the classified is 300 watts. The power requirements on this card is 275 watts. And that's power supply requirements. But they're able to overclock the chip and run it reliably with the warranty up to the 1291, which is the same as the classified that you would pay $10 more for. So what is the extra $10 buying you? It's buying you, obviously, the, the classified being the classified. Yes, which is you get, good. You get the 14 power phases. You get an EV bot connector. You get voltage test points. And basically, that's it. Well, I know we've had very good opinions of the classified in the past, but does this mean now we should start looking at the for the win? Is that the way to go? I think that is. The, the for the win is really the where the classified should have been positioned. Based on comments that I've seen online, you know, people are wondering why to buy the classified, right? It gets you the overclocking stuff, but people aren't doing that anymore. They're using the kingpin card for that. So really, we need to have this custom board, custom cooler, super overclocked from the factory card to make everybody happy and feel good without all the extra fluff. So I think in the future, what's going to happen is that Classified's going to go away. This will probably be the last classified we'll see. It will be replaced by the For the Win, which, you know, maybe they'll change the name and call that one the classified. I don't know. The Kingpin card, I think, is going to stay, and it's probably going to stay with the same marketing monitor where you can buy your ASIC card. You know, it's going to be pre-binned or used if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> there you go. And then you can still buy the, the reference cards that are hot clocked that come with the custom cooler, or you can just buy the factory one from NVIDIA. I think the point here is we have options, but it sounds like if you want a classified card, you need to consider whether this might be your last opportunity. Buy them now. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Google or like us on Facebook. This has been an Engineering Production, copyright 2015. Thanks for listening. to 11.